Thanks for joining us today on the For the Bible Tells Me So podcast. My name is Riley. I'm so glad you're here. Hey, if this is your first time in this podcast feed, I just want to say welcome. You're jumping into a series with us called Blessings Behind Bars. Blessings Behind Bars, because basically what we're doing is we're just going through an old prison letter. It's actually a prison letter written by one of the first Christians. His name is Paul. He's writing it to the Philippian church, and I believe that this word, although it was written thousands of years ago, has a message for us today. Great to um, be with you guys tonight. Hey, come on, one time for Thor last week? Come on, man. Golly. And for Jedi from Monterey Church, wasn't that a blessing last week? I wasn't even here, but I felt the blessing at my house. Um, no, but man, I'm just so thankful for these guys being able to lead the group. Um, we have such a great team here, so thank you guys for doing that last week. Hey, we're in the book of Philippians tonight, Philippians chapter 2. If you have your Bible with you, uh, turn it on, open it up. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. Five verses tonight, 14 through 18. As I was reading this passage this week, I was thinking about life. You guys are just like have these moments in your day where you have a quiet moment, you think about life, just the meaning of it all. I had one of those moments, and um, I was just thinking about how so often one of the things I think about when it comes to life is just getting through it. I just want to get through certain situations to get to the other side. And a lot of my Christian life has been about that. Like, I want to keep moving forward and have God alongside of me so that as I'm going through every situation that I'm comforted, supported, not alone. And I believe that's all true. You know, God does go with us through the valleys. Amen. He is with us in the hard times. We praise God for that. But as I was reading this passage, I kind of felt like the Lord was speaking something fresh to me that, our life, our Christian life, isn't so much about getting through it with God as much as it is about God working in us and out of us. It's not so much about just the ups and downs of life, but it's about the ins and outs of life, what God wants to do in us and how he wants to work that out through us. Because the truth is that healthy things grow and that as you're living this Christian life, if you're just trying to live it without being it, it's going to be really hard. I don't know if you guys can relate to that, but you try to live the Christian life without God getting inside of you, nurturing you, transforming you, and you're just trying to do the outward stuff, serving, loving, caring for people, forgiving, building people up. It can be pretty difficult, right? But what God is trying to do is truly to work inside of us so he can then work out of us for the benefit of people around us and for the Lord's glory, obviously. So this passage tonight that we're jumping into, it's interesting because, you know, we've been taking these like small bite-sized chunks of Philippians. And sometimes when you do that with passages, you lose a little bit of context. Right here, if we just jump straight into this passage, you might be led to think that all God wants to do is he all he wants is for us to do things for him to earn salvation. You might think when you're reading this, 
it feels like what Paul is saying is that if I do this thing, then God will look at me as righteous. If I do this thing, then God will forgive me. If I do this thing, then I'll be saved from my sins. And that's not where we want to come from tonight. Where we're coming from is this idea that God is working in us and then out through us. What we're studying tonight is more of like an out passage where the understanding up to this point is that, man, we have been saved by grace. We have been made righteous because of Jesus's righteousness imputed into our lives. And now because God is doing stuff inside of us, we now live it out into the world and into the church around us. And so that's kind of what we're talking about tonight. Paul's just getting really practical about what it looks like to actually live out your faith. Okay, you guys with me? Can you guys hear me in the back, back there? All right, cool. Okay, I'll just yell louder if you need me to. Okay, Philippians 2, verses 14 through 18. Let's read this together, and then we'll break it down. Okay, so Philippians 2, verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. That might be the word that you just need to hear tonight. Just stop complaining, okay? Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's take a moment and pray together. Thank you, Father, for this word. Thank you that it comes to us after this understanding of who you've made us to be. Thank you for the invitation to come and to know Jesus, to receive righteousness, to be forgiven, to live into a whole new framework of approaching life. And we pray, God, that as we get into this text right now, that you would speak to us, that we'd be ready to hear, and that even from tonight, Lord, there would be a shift in our hearts, that we would leave here with a deeper appreciation for what you've done for us and a greater expectation through what you're going to do through us as we live for you. So please be here now. I believe you are, Lord. There's a promise from you that where two or more are gathered in your name, you are there. So we're trusting in you tonight, believing that you're going to do a work. And it's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, one of the main things that Paul is worried about for the Philippian church is for sure them understanding that God is working in them to then work something out of them. But one of the reasons why he's really concerned about that is because Paul is very concerned about the reputation of the gospel. If the church lives out their lives as believers, you know, they believe in Jesus, they've received him as their Lord and Savior, they follow him as their king, but then they live like the rest of the world, they live like they just kind of operate within the system of the, the world at the time, then the gospel would have no impact on the people around them. The message would totally fall flat because what they believed would not be what they lived. And so Paul, being the pastor of this church, again, this is like one of the first churches that was 
ever really collected together under the name of Jesus. And so they're new to the game. They just know that they're following Jesus. And Paul is telling them, man, this is what Jesus has done for you. And this is what he wants to see happen out of your life. And by doing these things, you're going to be spreading the message of the gospel in such a way that's actually going to be attractive. Wouldn't you love to live a life where people see your faith in action? Like, what's up with you? Like, you're different. You seem joyful. Things don't hit you so hard in life. Things kind of roll off your back a little bit. You're, you're present, but you're hopeful. What, what is the deal with you? I want to know more about that. I know I, I really want that for my life. That's what Paul wanted for the Philippians. And he gives a couple ways to do that here in this passage. So I have three main points for you. If you have a notebook and a pen, good for you. You can put it to use right now. If you don't, just listen. Um, but the first thing I want you to see is this. This is our first point. Before you go into the night, turn on a light. I know that sounds really cheesy, and it sounds like it has nothing to do with what we're talking about right now, but go with me for a moment. Before you go into the night, turn on a light. Bring a light with you. Verse 14 says this, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Again, just for clarification, what Paul's doing here is he's giving instructions, not for the church to earn their salvation, but to live out their salvation. He's saying here, man, do all things without grumbling or disputing. What, that's what he's saying. I think that another thing he might be saying that's not written but can be understood is do everything with thanksgiving, and contentment, that you may be blameless and innocent. Now, that idea right there doesn't mean that they're, again, trying to be, you know, through the way they live, earn their salvation, make, you know, brownie points before God or anything. It's not like that. But living this way, content, joyful, without grumbling, disputing, without getting at each other, by living a life of joy, you're actually showing and demonstrating that you have been made blameless, that you have been made innocent. He says, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. This is another kind of sub-point to what we just mentioned here. He's giving them some tools already. Live this way. Don't do this so that you can show that you've been blameless and innocent, but he's also telling them something very specific about how to live this out in the world around them. He is telling them that this way of living has to be done among people who don't know about the faith. It's one thing for you and I to live with thanksgiving, to be content, joyful among each other, right? Like that's a real encouragement to you and me. There's nothing worse than hanging out with another believer who's just complaining all the time, is just putting people down, backbiting, gossiping. That stuff sucks. It's the worst. But when we're together, when we're loving one another, that's a real joy. But that's not only just a joy to us, it's a witness 
to the world around us. The idea for living this kind of way is that not only would we encourage one another, but that we'd point people who don't know Jesus to Jesus. That they would actually see through the way you live, the way you talk, the way you present yourself, the way you engage with one another, that they would see that and be drawn to Jesus and what he can do, not only in your life, but in their lives as well. We have to get out into the world around us. I think that there's this kind of tendency within the Christian faith sometimes to just live our whole lives within our church bubble. Don't get me wrong. I love the bubble. I grew up in the bubble. I'll protect the bubble. I'm for the bubble. I love it. But if we live inside the bubble forever and don't actually get outside to meet people who don't know Jesus, to show them true love, to show them what joy looks like, then how do we ever expect for the dark world around us to be lit up with the love of Christ? It just won't happen. We come here to these gatherings, man. This is the place where we are built up in our faith. This is not to escape the world. Maybe you can do that for like part of the reason why you're here. A huge reason why we're here is to be built up, to be encouraged, to be strengthened, to go back out into our families, to go back out into our workplaces, to go back out into our Zoom with our friends and with our classmates. We come here to be built up, to shine a light in the world around us. But for a lot of us, I feel like maybe, maybe you can relate to this. Sometimes, you, you, you know, you, you think about the Christian faith. You think about Jesus. And maybe actually you're here tonight. You love Jesus. You love him in the way where you say, I'm going to give my life for you. I'm going to sacrifice for you. Give my life for you. But you feel like, you know, you, you say that, but then your actions look a little bit different than what you profess. Maybe tonight you're here and you say, man, I, I'm into following Jesus. I, I come to church, but I still feel like I operate in bitterness a lot. I still do complain. Like I'm not happy with my life. I'm not content with where my relationships are at. I don't like what's going on in my home. I don't like what's happening. And, you know, we all go through things. Life is difficult. But let me just suggest something to you. I don't know if this is for just one person or for multiple people here. I know this is a word for me this week. But sometimes, you know, we can say we follow Jesus. Our lives look different, though. And really, honestly, the, the, the crux of the whole, like, problem is that what's happening on the inside is all bad. We say we follow Jesus, but we're harboring bitterness. We're not forgiving. We say we love Jesus, but we're not loving the people who have hurt us. We say we want to give everything for Jesus, but we're not really giving or serving or honoring God with our time. The idea here being that what we say is not actually who we are. And sometimes, man, that light that we want to shine to the world, it's not going to shine because we're burning with the wrong materials. I'm a, a very bad, I'll just say it to you guys, I don't start good fires. I'm embarrassed by it. I've been on YouTube. I try to start like little campfires. I have a little fire pit in my front yard. It sucks, man. It takes like an hour to get this thing lit all the time. 
And one of the problems that I come up against a lot of times, I live in Pacific Grove, and there's a lot of moisture in the air. And the, the wood that I use sometimes gets kind of like wet, but I don't know it's wet. So I'll put it in the fire pit. I'll try to light it. I'll use the kindling and stuff like that. It doesn't burn. It's just a big bummer. It's like a shot to my man card. You know, it's just the worst. But um, what I find a lot is that, like, in the middle of it, I'm like, oh, this, I'm using the wrong kind of wood. It's not going to burn. It's wet. Like, I'm not God. I can't just pour fire down on this thing. It's not going to work. So I have to find new wood. I have to burn with something that's actually combustible, something that will actually catch. I feel like for maybe a lot of us, the reason why we're not seeing good works come out of our lives in the ways we hope for is because we're not burning good materials inside of us. Because we're trying to maybe present ourselves to the world as good, loving Christians, but we are bitter, we are hateful, we are angry, we don't see people as image bearers of Christ. And it affects the way we live our lives. And for us, man, one of the challenges in this life is opening up our lives to God, allowing him to remove what we're trying to burn in our lives and allow him to place things inside of us that will actually light up and will shine from our lives with good gifts and good works. Imagine feasting on God's word, being built up with God's forgiveness. If that was inside of you, if that was like a, a piece of wood stuck in the fire and you lit that on fire, man, the forgiveness that would come from that. Are you guys following this kind of picture? I, I, I might be going too far with this. I hope this is making sense right now. But think about just feasting on God's truth. You just like ingest. You just listen. You read God's word. It's inside of you. That's what's burning. Then, man, you're going to be living a life where you are speaking God's truth and loving people from God's word. The idea here being that, man, we need to be built up with God's word, with God's truth. We need to be allowing God to get into our lives so that we can live out what God has put inside of us. We need to be a light for the kingdom. Don't go into the night without getting a light or, in my case, just getting a Duraflame log and putting it in the fire pit. Okay, number two, before you lose a grip, hold on to God's word. Before you lose a grip, hold on to God's word. It's one way to preserve the witness. Verse 16 says, hold fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. What I want us to see from this is that the way that we Christians hold on to or let go of our faith will directly impact the people around us. You can either, depending on how you hold your faith, you can be a blessing or you can be a bummer to your church community. What Paul is looking at here at the Philippians is he's saying, man, hold on to your faith so that we can see some evidence of what God is doing in your life. He's like, I want to see that my work here has meant something, that this is like a worthwhile cause with you guys. Like, I want to see this happen in your life. I want to know that it was all for good. And please don't hear Paul wrong. Please don't hear me wrong. 
Paul is not trying to manipulate the Philippian church into making him feel good or making him look like just a good preacher. He's not saying like, hey, just get it together, man. I got like a reputation to uphold here. I'm trying to plant churches and stuff. Like, you better get your act together so people see me as like a great leader, a great discipler. He's not saying that. We have to understand that the Christian faith is not just like this individualistic kind of thing. It's like a community-based faith that we're in. What Paul's trying to do here is hold the Philippians up to a standard. He's trying to he's trying to like keep them accountable to this faith that they have entered into. He's saying, "Man, I want to just know as your brother in Christ that man that this is this is really happening. If it's not working, we got to talk about it. We got to work this out because God is trying to do something in your life." So Paul says, man, hold on to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, when we meet Jesus face to face, when he comes and establishes his kingdom, when we have to give an account for our stewardship of this life that he's given us, he wants, he's just saying, man, when that day comes, I want to be able to say that this was not in vain. I didn't run in vain or labor in vain. I want to say that I ran the race hard and that lives were changed that the gospel is unleashed in my life and the people around us. So Paul is saying, man, hold on to God's word. Don't lose your grip on it. This is not just about you. It's about all of us together. This is important to note tonight because I hope you guys know that as you jump into this faith, I don't know where you're at in your faith if you're all about Jesus like we've been talking about or maybe you're just kind of questioning, you're just curious about this whole spiritual journey with Jesus, if you have given your life to him and you've, you've like proclaimed that to your, your family by being baptized, by maybe telling them that you're all about Jesus and you want accountability in your life, and then you just kind of peace out, that's harmful to the body, man. That's hard for the community of believers because we are not just an individualized kind of people group. This is a, it's a family, and actually in the words of Scripture, in the book of Ephesians, we read that we are actually the body of Christ. When one member, when a finger, when an eye, when a tongue bounces out, that hurts the whole body. And so he's saying here, man, let's just make sure that you're holding fast to God's word, that you are staying in the family, that you are uniting yourself into the body of Christ, because we all benefit as you hold fast. Okay, so before you lose a grip, man, hold on to God's word. And the last thing here is just before you retreat, walk through the door of joy. Before you retreat, walk through the joy or the door of joy. This is another way to preserve our faith and our witness. In verses 17 through 18, Paul says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. What Paul is saying here is actually kind of referring to some Old Testament imagery of sacrifices and offerings. Um, so let's just go there for a moment. I promise we'll come right back, okay? I'm actually really glad April kind of laid down, down the, the work for me a little bit. Thanks for tonight, the way you did um, communion, April. That was so great. Um, talking about 
the sacrifice and the drink offering. What Paul is getting at here is that back in Old Testament days, whether you're a pagan or you were a Jewish person worshiping God, there's a way about doing sacrifices. There was typically some kind of animal that was slaughtered, put up on an altar. They were burned um, as a sacrifice. And to complete the sacrifice, there was a drink offering, just kind of one for the dead homies right here. They, they, it would pour out something. It's probably a dead goat, but um, it would complete the sacrifice. There was an animal and a drink. And what Paul is saying here is so profound. What he's saying here is that you Philippians, there is a sacrifice that you gave. What's he referring to from the sacrifice? Well, back in chapter one, we, we read that the Philippians actually gave a financial gift uh, to Paul to help him while he's in prison, um, to kind of come alongside him as he's ministering in the prison system and continuing to move the faith forward. So the Philippians partnered with him, but it really was a sacrifice. These are people who were financially down and out. And even in their poverty, they chose to give. It was a sacrifice. It was hard for them to give. And Paul says, look, you guys have sacrificed for me. And look, and I'm going to sacrifice as well. Like, I'm doing this apostleship ministry. I'm planting churches. I'm spreading the faith. I'm doing this like prison ministry now. Like we're doing this stuff. I'm in prison for <laughs> all the stuff that we're doing right now. Like I'm pouring out myself. You sacrificed yourself. And together we have a complete worshipful act before God. We have a complete sacrifice before God because of what you've done and what I've done. This is profound because what we see is that worship is not done individually. It can be done individually, but it is truly completed when we are together. When you and I sacrifice together for the Lord. When you and I make decisions together that are hard when it comes to, you know, society's standards, but they uphold God's standards. When we do those kind of decisions together, when you sacrifice, when I sacrifice, when I pour out myself, when you pour out yourself, what we are doing is truly worshiping God. We talk about worship sometimes in Christian circles, like it's just this moment that we have before the teaching where we sing together and praise God for that. I love that so much. That truly is our hearts coming before God. And maybe we're actually sacrificing some things just from our heart to God. But man, you want to talk about real worship, real sacrifice? It looks like you and me making decisions that are uncomfortable in order to worship God. In order to tell him, man, you're more important than my bank account getting this big. You're more important than me having enough me time in my schedule. You're more important than anything else in this world. I just want to honor you, God. And when we do that together, man, that is a good sacrifice. But oftentimes, it can be really, really hard. But what Paul says is that when we do that, not only are we worshiping God, but we actually get to rejoice together. It's weird. There's like this thing that happens. I don't fully understand it. It's just like the way God operates. But when you and I sacrifice for the Lord and we do that together, instead of feeling impoverished, instead of feeling beat down, I and mean, maybe you feel that to some degree, 
Um, but ultimately what's happening is that there is this transaction. As you worship, God pours out joy. Chance the Rapper said it so well when the praises go up. Anybody else know it? The blessings come down. That's right. Somebody knew it. When the praises go up, the blessings come down. That's prophetic, Chance. It's so good. But it's so true. I was talking with a, a friend of mine today. We can kind of end it here at this example. But um, a couple of my friends, my really close friends, have had a really difficult year. And I'm sure that some of us here in this room have had a difficult year, or our families have. Um, these two friends that I have, um, some of you guys probably know them, but um, their marriage has just gone through so much this past year. Last December, my my buddy, he made some mistakes. He just kind of gave into some temptation that took took him way too far, was almost threatened to go to jail. Like It was like a bad thing, sexual sin, and uh, it was really terrible. And he was married, had two kids, and it was like a come-to-Jesus moment for him and for his wife. And they had to make some, like, real decisions. I mean, if you guys knew, like, what they had gone through, maybe you would think, like, man, it might be just, like, worth for this woman to leave. That might be, like, the better and easier option right now. But, man, these two people are so strong in their faith, so committed to God. They chose to offer a sacrifice to God. Rather than maybe operating the way that the world would tell them, like, hey, you should leave. You need to go, I don't know, figure out something else with another person. Instead of like splitting up, challenging each other, ripping their marriage apart, ripping their family apart, instead of doing that, which may have been to some degree maybe easier, although it would have been so painful, instead of doing that, they chose, man, we are going to sacrifice our our reputation to some degree. We're going to sacrifice maybe our rights to some degree, our privileges, our ego, our preferences. And what we're going to do is we're going to put those all on the altar for God. And we're going to pour ourselves out on that altar by saying, man, we're going to work for this marriage. We're going to work for these kids. We're going to reconcile. We're going to build this back up. And we're going to be stronger than ever before. And I was talking to them today, and the wife, she's so cool. She just loves her husband so much. She's like, look, this has been like the worst year of my entire life. And she's saying, you know what? But from it, I'm more in love with this man now than I ever have been. I trust him more now than I ever have. Our intimacy is at a whole new level that it was never at before. We are with each other. We are partners. And from this experience, we can say that our lives are actually better now than they were a year ago. She's like, I don't want to relive that at all. I don't wish that upon anybody. But God has been faithful as we've worshipped him by pursuing this marriage, pursuing the covenant, as we have offered ourselves. Man, there's been an exchange that's happened. We've worshipped and God has given us joy. And I don't know what that looks like for you tonight. I don't know if there has to be something that you need to give up tonight. It might be like a, an idea that you have or a way that you've been living that you need to give up. There might be something that you know has been holding you back from truly living for Jesus. Maybe it's been hidden under the radar. You can hide it. Maybe people don't see it. 
or maybe they do and you're around some friends who totally accept it, but you know in your heart, man, the light is not shining for my life. There's some, I'm not burning the right materials right now. Maybe you feel like, man, I'm not as close to God as I really wish I was, and I haven't been as sacrificial with my life before God, and there's just something, something's not clicking. I want to really encourage you guys tonight that this is the night, man, to offer that to God, to put it on an altar, so to speak, to pour out yourself, to do that maybe with one person that you trust, to be able to partner with someone in confessing, offering, sacrificing in order to honor God and to love him and to let your witness be preserved. You may be here tonight and there's been some stuff in your heart that is not burning for the Lord. There has been some bad material that you've been ingesting into your life. You haven't been putting in good stuff right now and you you want to live the Christian life, but it's just been hard. I feel like there's like no motivation. There's no fuel. The pistons aren't clicking at the right rate. Um, you can tell I know a lot about cars. I don't even know if that, what that means, but um, maybe there's just something that needs to be changed in your life tonight. Maybe you just need God to place hope, love, courage, faith tonight into your life. Will you be willing to allow God to pull out the negativity, to pull out the anger, pull out the bitterness and replace it with whatever he wants. Thanks for being here today. Come back next Tuesday for a new episode here of the For the Bible Tells Me So podcast. Check the show notes for info about following and interacting with the young adult ministry throughout the week during Shelter in Place. We hope to see you soon.